Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. May God bless the reading of His Word. Be seated in God's house tonight. Someone sent me a video link by uh, Joel Osteen. And I know I don't crack on him too much. But the interviewer was asking him. They said, Joel, uh, people say that you preach a real positive message. But it lacks scripture. How do you respond? And he said, well, you know. He said, my gift is to inspire people. And he said, I want to take a thought from the text. And he said, I might preach a whole message and put Scripture in at the end. And as I thought about that, the reality occurred to me. If what we're saying is not based on Scripture, then it's not a sermon. Right? And so, so you know, here's, here's one of the things that I found that in the Protestant Reformation... Uh, and I didn't know this, that in Catholicism, the central point of Catholicism was observance of the Mass. Because they believed that literally the body uh, and, the, and, the, and the juice, the wine, was imparting grace to them. All right. So during the Protestant Reformation, they began to focus on the Word. That the Word was what brought about transformation. Not material uh, substances, but the Word of God. And so, um, all I say to say is this. Uh, let's, let's hold the Scripture preached tonight. Because I don't have anything to say that the Scripture doesn't say. But it says at the beginning, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. King James uses the word pang. I guess that's just the way of saying pain back then. You see what I'm saying? The pains of childbirth has been groaning in expectation. I remember one of the most important times in my life where I was groaning. I had waken up in the hospital bed after surgery once they removed tumors, uh, tumors from my stomach. And I was in the most severe pain I've ever been in in my life. And so normally you wake up after surgery and you're kind of like groggy and you, know, you say crazy things and people get them on video and then put them on YouTube. right? But I remember I woke up and I was screaming. <laughs> I was literally screaming. And as I woke up, the nurse was frantic. She was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm like, I'm in pain. And I was groaning. I mean, I was screaming, even in this groggy state. I can remember. I can remember saying, should I be in this much pain? She says, no, you shouldn't. So she was clicking that little button. She said, I've never given this patient, a patient this much morphine. I said, well, you first time for everything, nurse. Come on, click it in there. But I was groaning because my, my body was literally waiting to be liberated from that pain. It was waiting to be liberated from that bondage. All right? So it was a groaning in expectation. Something helped me. Somebody 
help me. And, and the Word of God says this is what all of creation is doing. It is groaning in expectation, just as the pains of childbirth up to the present time. And as we've been going through the book of Romans, I've realized that, that in this life, it's not the pleasure that points us to heaven. But in reality, it's more the pain that points us to a heaven with Christ Jesus. You see, pleasure normally makes us forget about God. Because sometimes the people with the easiest and best lives are not the spiritual ones. And, you know, uh, you can testify that the people in Haiti who have nothing but struggle are so zealous for Jesus Christ. But we have everything, literally everything, and complacent. Matter of fact, Ken and Mona just returned from Haiti, and uh, Ken was telling me that he said, Man, Pastor Enoch is wearing it out. Pastor Pradiu is wearing it out. And he said, The church goes out like multiple uh, uh, days during the week for door to door evangelism. I mean, like, you know, a lot of the church. And he says, Man, you know, the church in Haiti does more evangelism than American churches. Right? And why is that? Well, it could be because they have nothing. You see what I'm saying? All they have is Jesus. But in pain and struggle, they're pointed to Christ more. The apostle is trying to tell us in Scripture that these are not the pains of death. That struggle is not pain that leads to death, but it's pain that leads to life. They are not pain without hope, but on the contrary, they're a pain with hope. Uh, is, is Austin's mom and dad here, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Helms? One of our young men in the church just went to basic training for the Air Force. And I can remember the pain of boot camp. But I knew it wasn't going to last forever. Matter of fact, I told Austin, I said, the most frequent nightmare I have is that I have to go back to boot camp. I mean, like every six months, I wake up in sheer terror that they send me back to boot camp. I mean, it's horrible. It's probably like George South Wrestling School. Like every day of your life. You see? <laughs> but it wasn't pain without hope. I knew, man, there's going to come an end. And I can endure it. There's going to come an end. There's going to come release. And so the struggles of this life are not pain without hope. Uh, I mentioned that Tyler is expecting. And, and what I haven't mentioned is how sick she has been a lot. And it hasn't been morning sickness. It's been like everyday sickness. I'm talking about morning sickness, afternoon sickness, night sickness. Right? Sometimes so sick that she can't get out of the bed. But you know what's awesome? Just, just as the apostles relating this childbirth, it is not pain without hope. You see what I'm saying? And mothers can, can testify right now. All right? You know that that pain is looking forward to something. It is actually producing in you more of a craving for what is to come. You know, because be honest with you, <laughs> if childbirth were really easy, you might not care for that baby too much when it's 3 a.m. and hollering in the middle of the night. But because you went through that pain... Man, you have a care like no other because of that. That pain actually causes that care and that love to be more pronounced. Many times the pain that we're going through looks like pain that leads to death, but the Scripture tells us that pain of the saints leads to life. That the struggles of 
the children of God lead to life, lead to glory, so that the presence of struggle in our life is not the result of God simply punishing us, but rather molding us for His glory. Uh, yesterday afternoon, it was one of our first days that we've had nice weather, and now the sun sets longer, so we took the, the wheels off of Bella's uh, little bike, the training wheels. Not the whole wheels. <laughs> it's not working, Daddy. We took the training wheels off, and she fell many times. She fell in the mud. She ran off the road in the mud. She fell on the asphalt. And, you know, she'd get up and I'd say, wipe your hands off, Bella. You have to fall. There has to be pain in order to have success. And so that's pain that leads to hope. It is not pain that leads to failure. It is pain that leads to hope. So, I want us to understand this word groaning as it says that the creation has been groaning and how it's used in the Greek New Testament to convey meaning. I found that in Mark Chapter 734, it says that Jesus met a man who was deaf. And this is really funny. It says Jesus goes up to the man and puts his fingers in his ears. All right, this is what the scripture says. Jesus was not a traditional healer. Okay, he was spitting in the mud, wiping it on people's eyes. It said it, he spit and rubbed it on the man's tongue. And then put his fingers in the man's ears. But this is what it says. It says Jesus looked up to heaven and with a deep groan said, Ephatha, which means be opened. All right? So I want you to, to take the context of Jesus' groaning. That, that Jesus here, he has this man, and he's holding him, and he looks up to heaven, and he groans. And that groan leads to healing. You see? So, so that this is the same word that Apostle Paul is using to convey that the creation is groaning with the expectation of healing. Not just groaning because it's going through pain, but knowing that redemption is on its way. The good news tonight is that God says, folks, things are going to get better. It might not look like it right now, but we can know that if God has brought His church this far in 2,000 years and starting from 6,000 years when He had very little to work with, if God has brought it this far, He's going to keep going. All right? Paul wrote this almost 2,000 years ago at the time where nation was rising against nation. Israel had been captured and then released and then captured again now by Rome. And, and they're under this persecution now. Paul as a Christian is under the persecution which he was once pouring out. And he tells people, he says, all this groaning is leading to glory. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars in the New Testament. The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, this was a, a few thousand years ago. It says in chapter 1, verse 9, What will be has already been done. What, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. You know, what, you know what the Ecclesiastes is telling us? The way the world is right now is the way it's always been. Okay? See, a lot of times we get tempted to look at the world. We're like, man, things are crazy. What's going on here? And a lot of people talk about the good old days. I got a question. What good old days? You mean back 50 years ago when, when whites were killing blacks throughout the South? Do we mean the days of our grandparents and their parents when Hitler was murdering Jews by the millions? Were those the good old days? 
Do we mean when more people were killed by the northern states and the southern states in our own wars than the, all the other uh, uh, national wars combined? Were those the good old days? No, let me tell you, there has not been good old days since Adam walked with God. But once they were cast out of the garden, there hadn't been a good old day yet. All right? Ever from the time they got out of the garden, their first two offspring, one of them killed the other. It wasn't civil war, it was sibling war. Ever since the beginning. What has been always will be till Jesus comes back to redeem creation and the children of God are all brought into adoption under Jesus Christ. Let me tell you folks, they will get better one day. But until Jesus returns, it don't, it don't look very good. Things are still going to be bad. The story of the Bible is a story of birth pains. It's a story of fallen creation waiting for redemption. But see, some people think, here's what they think. Well, well God's going to redeem creation, but I'm already redeemed, so I shouldn't go through struggles anymore. I mean, I'm already saved, right? God's called me His child. He's going to keep His child from struggles and pain, right? I mean, that's what the... The prosperity gospel says, but wait just a minute. You see, this is why we can't cherry-pick verses out of the Old Testament and put them on coffee cups without the context of the passage. So let's see what it says in the next verse. Look at verse 23. It says, not only that, meaning not only creation groans, but we also, who have the fruits, first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So when he says not only so, he means, listen guys, it's not just creation that was subjected to futility. It means it's not just the nations that are rising against nation. It also means that even us who are in creation are subjected to that futility which we saw last week. All right? Now this, this is not, this don't sell books at, at uh, uh, the Christian bookstores. It does not make anybody popular to say that once you become a Christian, you still have problems. It, it does not attract multitudes to say, listen, you're going to follow God and things aren't going to get better. But this is what Scripture says. That even the children of God experience the groaning and the futility and the expectation because we are in the midst we are in the midst of the struggle indeed more who are in the spiritual battle but you say wait a minute I thought the preacher on TV said that God has plans to prosper me and not to harm me isn't that what a preacher on TV said God God knows my future he has plans to prosper me well, he probably has plans to prosper himself if you give him $500 so he can get a new BMW. But that's not necessarily what God says for us, right? We've got to understand that there are covenantal passages in the Old Testament that were written for a nation that do not apply to New Testament citizens who are living under persecution. But this scripture is so glorious. This right here is so glorious because it, it flies in the face of, of those who say, well, listen, you know what? God saves my spirit. I can do whatever I, I want with my body. That's not true because it says we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Here's the key. God is not just saving the spirit. He's saving the whole person. If that were not true, we wouldn't wait for the resurrection. 
Do you know why Christians are historically buried rather than cremated? Now, this is not an attack on anyone who's been cremated. I'm just going to tell you historically why Christians are buried rather than cremated. Because pagans did not believe in a resurrection. All right? So, so the normal practice of paganism was to burn the dead body. Christians who believed in the resurrection buried their dead. Because they know that God's plan is to redeem not only the spirit, but the body. Have you ever thought about this? All right, if, if our spirit goes to heaven, why does God have to have a resurrection? Why is Jesus going to come back and, and call forth the dead in Christ to come first? Because our, our spirit is going to be rejoined with a redeemed spiritual body. All right? So the picture of, of redemption in Jesus Christ is not just that he's, he's going to fix the inside of you. Let me tell you some good news. He's going to fix the outside of you too. <laughs> That's good news for some of us that God didn't bless as much on the outside as others. You see? My wife likes to let me know that my hair's falling out. Matter of fact, I went and visited Morris Whitley a while back. And he said, preacher, you're putting on weight. Well, thanks, Morris. You know, glad you're shooting me straight. But one day Jesus is going to redeem the whole body. And that means since I'm still in the body now, that it, it's not just my spirit that God's concerned with, but it is everything that God's concerned with. He's concerned with my eyeballs. He's concerned with my ears. He's concerned with my mouth. He's concerned with my cholesterol. He's concerned with my blood pressure, which is why I don't drink Red Bull anymore. He's concerned about all them things. He's going to redeem the whole body. So that means God cares about me spiritually and materially. And He's going to redeem all the creation as well. Redemption that is coming is coming for the whole person. But what we have in Christ right now is not full redemption. But we do have something. And what we have, according to verse 23, is the first fruits of the Spirit. We do not yet have the redemption of the body, but we have tasted the first fruits of the Spirit. And tonight I've titled this message, Hoping in the Spirit. Because without the Spirit, we would have no hope. All right? Folks, if you take something away tonight, here's what I want you to know. That what God has done on your inside with your heart is the basis of your hope in Jesus Christ. No matter if anything in your life gets better, the fact that you are made right with God through Jesus Christ and His blood on the cross is what has saved us. No matter if nothing gets better. No matter if you die tomorrow. I didn't tell you this story when I was talking about St. Patrick. Um, after he was later on in his ministry, St. Patrick had just baptized a large number of converts on Easter. And back then it was customary that you wore white garments to your baptism and, and they had concluded their Easter service and so this whole group of Christ followers were leaving Easter service in Ireland and, and headed away from the church service and there were some soldiers from Britain who kidnapped these new converts and murdered the ones they didn't want. These brand new baptized Christians had either just been killed 
or we're going to be sold into slavery. And so we only have two documents from St. Patrick. One was called the Letters to the Soldiers of Coroticus, which he wrote to the person who was commanding these soldiers. And in this letter he says, uh, um, you think that because you're part of the, the church at Rome and you think that because you're a British citizen that, uh, citizen that you have a, a good standing among society, but he says you are the offspring of Satan. He said you have just taken the lives of brand new children of God. But he says, I rejoice in this, that on the day they professed Christ in baptism, they were joined with him in heaven. You see, my friends... Throughout Christianity, this stuff that's going on in ISIS, this is not new stuff. This stuff has been happening since the first days, okay? And actually, it's probably slowed down a lot in the last century, but it's picking up now. So don't be surprised when you see more and more of it on the news. Because the people of God have always given their lives for the gospel. And God has used that as as a, a testimony to the hope we have in eternal life. That is not the diminishing of the Christian church. That is actually the, the, the seed that God uses to, to birth more in the Christian church through the, through the saints who lost their life. You see, there might not be peace on the outside. Your life right now might be junk. All right? You might be going through the hardest struggle in your family, the hardest struggle financially, the hardest struggle in your job that you've ever gone through. And you're probably thinking, God, and I, I talk to people. They say, God, why is this happening to me? As if, because they're a Christian, there's a, there's a magic wand now that fixes everything. My friends, once you see that suffering is what makes us cling to the cross, we'll see that in the Christian life, there normally is not a day where we're going to walk absent of it. But in the midst of it, we identify with Jesus who was present in our suffering. And as Hebrews says, we have a high priest who is not some far-off priest serving in the Levite temple that can't identify with a regular old Jew. No, he's a priest that came into our suffering. So our Savior does not just save us from it. He entered into it. Even though your body may be struggling with cancer, the first fruits of the Spirit can enjoy peace. Even though your family may be going through a time of bitterness, your heart can be going through a time of forgiveness. It is the first fruits of the Spirit that makes the distinguishing mark of a Christian. It's not the absence of eternal, external troubles. It is the presence of your attitude in the midst of it. So that when you go through the trial, you're going to be different than a person without hope. I preached a Christian funeral yesterday. Uh, matter of fact, a lady that used to go to uh, Young Memorial, uh, Martha Lindsay. Any of you guys know her? lady that passed on to, to be with the Lord. I got to know her family and I got to know about her. And I said, guys, you know what? A Christian funeral is different than every other type of funeral. Because this is a funeral with hope. The hope of eternal life. So we can come to this event not with mourning, but with rejoicing. Because that person's with God. That person is with God. You see, the thrust of this chapter is that 
It is the presence of the Spirit in the life of the believer, which means that you'll be able to endure the futility of the flesh. All right? It is the first fruits of the Spirit that reside within you that means that you're going to be able to go through the fallenness of creation, but with a different attitude. That is the difference. Not what your life looks on the outside, but what your heart looks like on the inside. Our hope cannot be, and our hope won't be, based on the externalities of life. You know why we, had, you know why we have bad days? Because things don't go the way we want it to. All right? Can I tell you what? If we're having bad days as a Christian, we're looking at the outside instead of the inside. All right? Because we're letting our contentment be defined by the fallenness of the world. And whether it's less fallen or more fallen, because to be honest, it's always fallen. We're letting that define our contentment instead of inner peace with Christ. And that's sin. Be honest with you. That's sin. When we don't find our contentment in God, we are worshiping something else. And that becomes sinfulness. Your family won't necessarily be fixed when you become a Christian. Your life won't necessarily become all better. God won't necessarily give you what you want. But He will give you hope. Somebody told me, they said, but, but it says that whatever you ask in Jesus' name, it will be given to you. I said, yes. Do you understand what it means to ask in Jesus' name? It means you ask the thing that He wants. It says, whatever you ask in his name, that you shall have. So that when we ask for what glorifies God, then he answers. But the problem is, the book of James says, we, get what, we, we don't get what we ask for because we ask based upon our lust. God, I want you to give me an easy day. God's not going to give you an easy day. God, I want, you to, I want you to give me good neighbors. God's going to send you lost neighbors. You see what I'm saying? We pray for the path to be easy when we should be praying for what's going to glorify God. I think it was Jim Elliott. He was, he was writing a missionary organization, and they said, we're going to send you some missionaries once we can get a road and safe travel. And he wrote back and he says, I want missionaries who don't need a road and safe travel. Are we looking for the outside or the inside? And so as he says, we wait eagerly. We wait looking up. Not looking down. That when we go through the trial... We don't have to look down because it's not pain that leads to death. It's pain that leads to life. It's pain that points us to Jesus. We wait with hope. When the trials of life come, we don't have to be overwhelmed because of the gloominess of the situation. And we should be overwhelmed with expectation that these are the groanings of childbirth. Something good. Is coming. They are the evidence that God is producing something. Let's take, for example, that we're atheists. And we believe that mankind has evolved over time and gotten better. If we're atheists, we think that things are improving, right? 
So how can you possibly look at the world today and believe man's getting better? How can you possibly look at the atrocities of humanity and conclude this is better? So here's what the atheist does. They look at the situation and they see evil and they say we cannot trust in God. But we look at man (laughs) and we say I can only trust in God. I certainly ain't going to trust in this system. You want me to believe that this is supposed to be the pinnacle of creation? This is supposed to be the pinnacle evolution? I'll be honest with you, the monkeys have it better because at least they they share bananas and they don't pay a a mortgage. (laughs) I mean, what if what has gotten better? Verse 24 says, In this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? What does he mean? That hope that is seen is no hope at all. He means that most likely the evidence of God's grand design is not yet visible in the external world. That when you look at the world system, you even look at the church and don't see necessarily the evidence of God's grand design. I've been reading a lot of church history lately, and you know what I found in church history? It's just, it's just a branch of splits, right? All of church history, all of church history is groups getting mad at one another and splitting. Like for 2,000 years, that's what it's been. But you know what that shows me? That even in man's brokenness, God has still been sovereign, right? Even look at the, at the, uh, the church, which is, it's not been unified since the, uh, the council at Jerusalem in the New Testament. They were disagreeing back then. That even through that discord, that God has been sovereign. So we can't see that hope in the external world. Atheists believe that man has the ability to better himself. I would call this the evolutionary climb. That's what they think is happening. Atheism says that man has all the needs to better his condition. But what we see in the world is not evidence of a climb. We see evidence of a fall. We see evidence of decline. We see evidence of evil. But the thing is, we can look at that and not lose hope. Because we see that because, like we talked about last week, because fallenness is in the system, God is in the process of redeeming it. And He's already promised. He's already promised things aren't going to get better. And when you see earthquakes and famines and nation rising against nation, these are the beginnings of the birth pains. And when you see these things, know that God is still working His plan. But for the Christian who has the Spirit of God, our salvation is based on the Spirit He's put inside of us. You see, see many people come into the church. They get excited about the church. And, and they get excited about what God is going to do for them. But when God doesn't do that, they check out. And you talk to people and you say, Man, I tried church out. It didn't work for me. Oh, really? What happened? You got around a bunch of fallen, sinful people and you realized that they were all fallen and sinful inside too, just like you? And well, I mean, what'd you expect? <laughs> God didn't give you the, 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 
the better stuff you asked for? I mean, is that why you got saved? So God could give you the better stuff? Or did you get saved because of Jesus Christ? See, for the Christian who has the Spirit of God, we don't have to look at the outside circumstances. Our, our salvation, even our testimony, is based on what the Spirit of God has done in us through Christ with the Holy Spirit, and come hell or high water, those conditions won't deteriorate the Spirit of God in us. He says lastly, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That means that when things aren't going our way, all right, we don't have to retaliate. We can be patient. When people hurt us, when family hurt us, when neighbors hurt us, we can be patient. When this world has lost its ever-living mind, we can be patient. So I want to conclude with a verse the same apostle wrote in 2 Corinthians. He said, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. It's easy to open up the newspaper. <laughs> I met a guy, and uh, I was asking him about his family. He said, he said, yeah, a lot of my family's on the front page of the newspaper. I didn't know what he meant. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, well, they've gotten in a lot of trouble. Now that made sense, okay? But even through the brokenness of those closest around us, even through our own brokenness, even when we fail, do not lose heart. Though outwardly, it says we're wasting away. You know what that means? That means I'm not necessarily getting better. That means you're not necessarily getting better. It means any of the good stuff that's in you is actually the evidence of God and not you. And even though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. I was reading a book of prayers. And uh, this guy, he was saying, God, the holier I become, the more sinful I see myself. The more that I know about God, the more I despise my own flesh. And just like St. Patrick, just like Apostle Paul, that the closer we go with God, it's not being more spiritual, but it's being aware of how sinful and broken and needy we really are. And if we're not ready for that to take place, we're not ready for spiritual growth. We have to let God show us how much we need Him. Not how much we can do. How much we need Him in order to be closer to Him. Let's pray. Lord God.